Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. And right now we are in week five. Everybody say week five. Right now we are in week five. Uh, So if you have a syllabus, pull it out right now. If you don't, please raise your hand. Uh, we should have uh, some syllabus uh, left over for you guys. Raise your hand. Our ushers and our greeters will uh, serve you. Uh, these syllabus uh, are made in-house, uh, made by our creative team, and uh, made by uh, we put together the studies ourselves. So these are made uh, in-house, for the house, and free of charge. Amen. So you can have these. You keep these. Carry with them, and uh, so that way we can be good stewards of God's word. We are in week five. It's called Born to Reign. What we're going to do together is real quickly, we're going to read the summary uh, that is on week five. It says this. It says, humans were not only created to worship God, but to reign in power alongside God, extending his kingdom to the physical world as his ambassadors and as his children. From creation, humans had authority over all living things until disobedience disconnected us from the kingdom. God foreshadowed King Jesus, reestablishing his kingdom on earth through King David. And by dying to ourselves and becoming a new creation through King Jesus, we are to reign with power of the Holy Spirit over God's creation, both physical and spiritual, by continuing the standard set by God and living out the heart of the Father. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 8 We are talking about David today. Previously, we went over um, in part one of uh, this semester, we talked about the Davidic covenant. This is going to, a quick review over it right here. This is God telling David what would come out of his line and how uh, the king who would come out of his bloodline would reign forever. It reads this, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verse 8. It says, now go and say to my servant David, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. He said, I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people. Who knows? It doesn't matter what we were before Christ. God can take us out of whatever we were stuck in and bring us into what we are promised to be. That doesn't matter if we were anything before Jesus. After Jesus is what matters. He said, I called you to be the leader of my people. So I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed. Everybody say destroy. I have destroyed all of your enemies before your eyes. Now I'll make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. And I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done before in the past. And starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty. Everybody say dynasty, a dynasty of kings. For when you, are di- when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. And he is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. Who's thankful we serve a God of forever? We serve a God of eternity. We don't serve a God of a short short man. We serve a God that is eternal. The title for today is this, Born to Reign. Born 
to reign. Let's pray over service together. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this place today. God, we thank you right now for your Holy Spirit to have his way. God, that we this right now surrender ourselves to you. Whatever you want to do, Father, let it be done. We thank you for miracles, signs, and wonders taking place today. We thank you for open minds and soft hearts that we are ready to receive from you. That we don't want to leave this place the same way as we came, but we want to leave this place transformed, changed, filled, set free. When we leave this place, God, closer to you. So have your way. Have your way in this service, Holy Spirit. Have your way in this place. Have your way in this place. We praise your name in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen, amen. Go ahead and give Jesus a hand clap of praise today. After done that, you can be seated. You can be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of reading the word of God. Born to reign. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're born to reign. Born to reign. Up until the 20th century, the most common form of government was one of a monarchy. In today's age, we're used to a democracy, which who's thankful for that, amen, that we have that. But up until the 20th century, the most common form of government was a monarchy. And every nation really understood what it meant to be a king. And what type of power and authority a king had because that was... Really, the first type of government ever orchestrated by man was one of, of monarchy, of one of a, a king or a queen would have all the power over their nation. The first recorded king in human history was over 6,000 years ago in Mesopotamia. And there has been tens of thousands of earthly kings since. The longest reign ever recorded by a king was King Louis of France. He reigned for 72 years. And he started his reign at the age of four. You think you had a cool childhood? Imagine being king before you could talk. He reigned for 72 years. But if there's something that every earthly king has in common with one another, if there's something that every earthly king had in common is, is that every single one of their reign came to an end. Every king that's ever existed, every single reign that they had, rather it was through death or through defeats, their reign came to an end. But what we just read together in verse 13, God said that out of the line of David would come a king. And when he is on the throne, his throne would know no end and his reign would last forever. So here's the encouraging thing. King Jesus, our king, knows no end. And that when death and defeat ended the reigns of earthly kings, our king Jesus defeated death and his reigns last forever. And now you and I are part of a kingdom that knows no end. And that should encourage you. Because we're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We're part of something as the kingdom of God that's bigger than you and I. So I have a word of encouragement for you. It's that our king reigns forever. Who's thankful that we serve a king who knows no end, whose reign is forever? Come on, somebody. Our king will never be defeated. 
So King Jesus will reign forever, and he, but he will also reign over everything. That Jesus will reign over every type of disease. Jesus reigns over any type of lie. Jesus reigns over every insecurity. Jesus reigns over every intimidation. Whatever the world tries to throw at you, you can remind them of who your king is and remind them that my king reigns. You can remind those things that my king reigns over you. And by the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, you know what? You want to know what's awesome? You and I, through Jesus, now we reign with him. Revelation 5.10 says this. It says that we have been made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign. Everybody say reign. We shall reign on the earth. So we have been called to be kings and priests, and we have been called to reign on this earth through the power of Jesus. When we are born again, here's, here's what happened. When you are born again, and the old is gone and the new comes, you know what happens when you are born again? You are quite literally born to reign. That when you are born again, you are born into already a, an opportunity. You are born already to an access. You are born into a line of, of, of a reign to where you can say, I am born to reign. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm born to reign. I am born to reign. But what does it mean to reign? What does it mean to reign? Here's a simple really easy definition from the context that we are studying. What it means to reign is to exercise, everybody say exercise, exercise keenly authority. See, it's one thing for you and I. See, we may have access to the authority, but the question is today, are we exercising that authority? Let me explain it like this. It's one thing to have access to the gym. It's a whole nother thing to exercise in the gym. Amen? I said, it, said this the first service. Wouldn't it be awesome is as soon as you paid your fees, it was like you already worked out. You didn't even have to show up. But that's not how it works. It's one thing to have access. access. It's another thing to exercise. So you and I, we have access to the power of God. You and I, we have access to the power that is required to reign. But the question is, are we walking in that power? Because we are born to reign. And God did not call you to reign so that way you could struggle. God did not call us to reign so that way we would be in lack. God did not call us to reign and gave us the power that comes from his spirit. He did not call us to reign so that way we would live intimidated, scared, afraid, worried, and caught up with all the same stuff that the world is caught up with. That's not, that's not what we're born into. We are born to reign. God's called us to reign so that way we could walk in victory. Everybody say victory. God called us to reign not so that we would walk in defeat. God has called us to reign so we could walk in victory. And when you boil it down, that's really what it just means to reign with Christ. 
What it means to reign with Jesus is to reign and to walk in his victory. We are born to walk in victory. We are born to walk in that type of authority. Because who knows that Jesus has already defeated death. Jesus has already defeated the grave. Jesus has already defeated hell. So the battle has already been won. So therefore, we're not trying to fight for victory. We're fighting from victory because of what Jesus has done. Come on, if you believe you have victory in the name of Jesus, you better give him a shout of praise. Because he already finished the job. He's already won the victory. Now it's up to us to walk it out. So how do we reign? How do we reign? What we're going to be doing today is we're looking at the life of David. And if you look at the life of David, you will notice many things about his life. He's considered the greatest king of all of Israel. But when you look at the life of David and you begin to study what he went through and what he did, you can't help but think about Jesus when you look at David. There's many similarities. Matter of fact, David is a foreshadow of Jesus. That the life of David was a foreshadow of the life of Jesus. We've discussed this before when we talked about the Davidic covenant, about how out of the line of David would come the king of kings and the lord of lords, and that was Jesus. Jesus came out of the line of David. Jesus is, is even called the son of David throughout scripture. Jesus himself is, even calls himself the root and the branch of David. And over 30 times, Jesus even talks about David to his disciples throughout the New Testament. So David and Jesus have many similarities, and here's a quick visual for you to see. It might be too small, but don't worry. Take a picture and zoom in, amen, and you can see it. But here are some similarities between David and Jesus. David was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was also born in Bethlehem. And let me say this. There's, there's people who say, well, you know what? All this might be a coincidence. Can I, can I tell you this? God never does anything by accident because you better be careful because if you believe that scripture is a coincidence, then the enemy will begin to convince you that when God does something good in your life, you're going to say, oh, that's just a coincidence. That's not something that comes from him. That's something that just happens by happenstance. No, there is no coincidences by God. God does everything for a purpose. The name of David, you know what David means? His name means beloved. God declared from heaven that Jesus was his beloved son, Matthew 3. David spent his time, his years before King, as a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. David spent many years in the wilderness before his reign. Jesus spent time in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights before his ministry. David became king when he turned 30. Jesus began his ministry when he turned 30. David wept in anguish on the Mount of Olives when he was on the, the run from Absalom. David went to the Mount of Olives, and it says he wept. Jesus wept on the Mount of Olives when he was on his way and was on his run towards the cross. David was anointed to be king of Israel. Jesus was anointed as the Son of God. 
But here's the awesome thing. Where David was just a foreshadow, Jesus was the fulfillment. Where David was just a peek into what the future was, Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises, the prophecies, and the provision of what God said he would do. Where David was this an appetizer, Jesus was the full meal, amen. Everything was fulfilled by the name of Jesus. See, when Jesus came, when Jesus came to earth, he wasn't just limited and preoccupied with the things that David did because David was an awesome king, but David was caught up in a political arena. When Jesus came to earth, he didn't come for political reasons. He didn't come to earth to, to the, defeat Rome. Jesus didn't come to earth to go and try to find a physical throne. Jesus came to earth to destroy the true enemy, and that is sin. Jesus came to earth to establish an eternal throne. And when he came to earth, he didn't, he didn't just end it with things of that are physical means. He continued with a spiritual eternity throne saying this, that when Jesus came, his throne will last forever. And that's what Jesus came that's what he established, an eternal throne. Come on, if, you, if you're thankful for King Jesus, give him a shout of praise. We thank you, Jesus. See, that is what is really the main responsibility of a king is, and that's what Jesus did. The main responsibility of a king is to defeat the enemy. The main responsibility of a king is to push back the enemies of his people. And that's what Jesus did. And people thought when Jesus came, it meant that he was going to push back Rome and he was going to push back all these things of the world. But no, Jesus came and he pushed back the curse of sin by going to the cross. And he defeated the enemy. David is known as the warrior king. He is known for all the battles he's done. And the battles he's won. But today we're not only going to look at the life that David lived, but we're also going to look at the words that David wrote. You may not know this, but David wrote many poems and psalms. He was a songwriter. My, my wife, Haley, she's a songwriter. I'm not. I've tried it a couple times. doesn't work. Maybe you need to be good at singing. I don't know. But David was a songwriter. He wrote poems. He wrote psalms. But here's, here's the cool thing. If you look deeper into what David wrote, you will notice that there were parallels and there were patterns. And you will notice that there were times when David was in a battle, and then he corresponded that battle, he corresponded that trial by writing a psalm. And so you can look at the life of David, and you can look at the life he lived, and you can look at the words he wrote, and you begin to see the type of belief and faith he had. Because who knows, that's what makes a king a king, is not what he does from the comfort of his castle, but it's what does he do when he's in the middle of combat. That's what makes you a king. And that's what we're going to look at. It's what did David say? What did David think? What did David do when he was in the middle of a trial? So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. We're going to pick up in 22 verse 1. And where we are in this story is that David is on the run from Saul. So David has been anointed king. Why don't you picture this? 
David has been anointed king, but he hasn't stepped into that fullness. He hasn't stepped into being king over Israel. He's on the run from Saul. Saul is jealous of David, and he's trying to hunt him down. Let me just say this. In life, there's going to be some haters, right? Saul was hating on David, chasing after him, and David's on the run. And now David finds himself hiding in a cave, and that's where we pick up in verse 1. It says, therefore, David departed from there and escaped. Everybody say escaped. He escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. I don't know about you, but if I'm David, I'm like, those aren't the type of people I want around me right now, right? It is like listed like the worst type of people came and gathered around him. And it says this, and he became captain over them, and there are 400 men with them. Let me paint you this picture. David, who has been anointed to be king, finds himself in a cave, nowhere near the throne of Israel. David, who is promised to lead the armies of Israel, is nowhere near that. He's leading the armies of the armies of Dumb and Dumber. He's leading the armies of the, of the people you wouldn't pick. These men that gathered around him were literally, they would be the last people you pick to be on your kickball team, right? Those are the type of people who gathered around David in the cave and became the army that he would lead. If I'm David, I'm saying some stuff to God right now. I'm saying, God, where is the promise at? God, you promised me to be on the throne, but I find myself hiding in a cave. God, you promised me to lead the armies of Israel, but now I'm leading the armies of rejects. But you want to see what David wrote while he was in that cave? Look at what David wrote while he was in the cave, Scripture says. He wrote this psalm, Psalm 57, and we're going to read 6 through 11. David wrote this. He said, my enemies have set a trap for me, and I'm weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. All right, Selah. And if you're a theologian, you're saying, Pastor CJ, that's pronounced Salah. But if you know me, you know we named our daughter who just turned 10 months today, Selah. So I'm saying Selah. But you want to know what Selah means? Selah means to pause and to reflect. That whenever David was writing this psalm, he inserted the word Selah. Other translations put the word interlude as a way to pause and reflect. But here's the thing. What David was doing is that even when he was in the cave, he could have been caught up in the stress and the busyness. He could have been caught up in all the things that was going wrong. But sometimes you need a moment to say, Selah, I need to press pause. I need to reflect. I need to remind myself who's in control. 
You're going to find yourselves in times in your life we are going to be busy. There's times in my life where there's so many things on my list. I get overwhelmed just thinking about it. But then I press pause and I begin to say, God is in control. I'm here to bring glory to his name. And as long as he's on the throne, I got nothing to worry about. Sometimes you got to press pause. Continue with verse 7. It says, my heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Everybody say praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like he's in a cave right now. But what David did and what made him different, what David did is that when he was in that cave, he didn't look around and complain. When David was in that cave, he didn't look around and began to blame God. When David was in that cave, he began to praise God. He began to say, God, you have the glory. God, I know you're coming through. God, I know my promise is on the way. God, I'm not going to be intimidated by the darkness of this cave right now. But he said, my praise is going to bring the dawn into the day. And I'm going to be able to see things more clearly. Why? Because my praises changes things. That's what David knew. David knew that his praise changes things. He could have let that cave conquer him, but instead he conquered the cave. And how he did that was through his praise. Can I tell you this? Your praise will allow you to break things, to break through, and to break over some things that the enemy is trying to hold you down on. That freedom reigns when you begin to praise. Healing comes when you begin to praise. Things begin to change, we begin to praise. I've seen it time and time again. I've been in moments of my life where I thought there's no way things can get more bleak, but I begin to praise, and then God began to make a way. I'm telling you right now, the greatest thing that you could be doing in your moment is praise. Because praise changes things. David understood the power of praise. David understood the power of praising God. Matter of fact, the most used word that David wrote when he wrote 70, 70 Psalms, 77 Psalms and the whole book of Psalms, the most common word that he used was the word praise. He understood the power of his praise. But you want to know what David really understood? He understood that you got to praise even when you're in a cave. He understood that you got to praise even before the battle has been won. David understood that you got to praise even before the provision comes. David understood that you got to praise even before the healing comes. David understood that you got to praise even before the debt is paid. Devin, David knew you had to praise even before the promise came. Why? Because he knew that you don't praise after victory. You praise before the victory. And that's what point one for today is, is that praise precedes the victory. Praise precedes the victory. 
You want to know how you and I reign on this earth with Jesus? we got to make sure we're praising him even before things come into fruition. We're going to make sure we're praising him even before the provision comes, even before the promotion comes, even before, the, even before that, that person, that relationship, those things that we're believing for. We've got to learn to praise him even, even before they come. We've got to learn to praise him before the victory. That's what David understood. That cave that David was in, it was called the Cave of Abdullam. And I believe David named that cave that. It was called the Cave of Abdullam, which means refuge. But here's what I believe, is that David did not find refuge in the cave. David found refuge in his praise. He found refuge not in the darkness of the cave. He found refuge that even when I'm in the darkness, I can still praise. Even when things are going to according to plan, I can still praise. Even when things are going the way I think it should go, I can still praise. I mean, you better start praising God right now and start praising him for the promises to come and praising him for the victories to come. Why? Because if you wait till after, you might never have your opportunity to praise. If you say, God, I'm not going to praise you until you come through for me. If you say, God, I'm not going to praise you until I get what I need. If you say, God, I'm not going to praise you until everything goes according to my plan, you're never going to be praising God. Because that's not what praise is about. Praise is not about looking at me. Praise is about looking at God. Say, God, I praise you right now. Things are difficult, but I praise you right now. Things are going how I thought it would, but I praise you right now. God, things are going opposite, but God, I praise you. Why? Because I trust you more than I'm fearful of my problems. God, I trust in your promises more than I am afraid of the problems in front of me. God, I trust you more, and that trust will drive your praise. And that's what David did. He praised God even while he was in the cave. Let's turn to 2 Samuel 21. 2 Samuel 21. Now, where we pick up in this passage of Scripture, this is almost 30, 40 years after what we just read. This is near the end of David's life, and David has now experienced victory after victory. David now has experienced battle after battle being won. And where we pick up in verse 21, in chapter 21, verse 18, David is battling against Giants. And look what it reads. It says, After this, there was another battle against the Philistine of Gob. As they fought, Sibekai from Hushah, who killed Saph, another descendant of the giants, during another battle of Gob, Elihan, son of Jair from Bethlehem, killed the brother of Goliath of Gath. The handle of his spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. That's a lot of fingers and toes. 24 in all. Who was a descendant of the giants. But when he defied and taunted Israel, he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother Shemaiah. In total, these four Philistines were the descendants of giants of Gath. But David and his warriors killed them. David and his warriors, David goes on a giant killing spree. Let me tell you this. If you want to reign as king, be ready to fight against some giants. 
David went and he was slaying giants. It didn't, his giant slaying didn't end with Goliath. There was many giants after that. But David goes and his army, they go out and they just get victory after victory. They slay, slay giant after giant. And if I'm David, you know what psalm I'm singing? I'm singing a psalm, man, look at David the giant slayer. I'm singing a psalm like, man, these Philistines got nothing on me, right? I'm singing a psalm that says, look at all the victories. Look at the strength of my armies. Look at the victory that has taken place. But you want to know what David wrote right after this? Look at Psalms 18. Psalms 18, verse 47. This is a psalm that David sings after victories. In Psalms 18, he says this, verse 47. He says, He is the God who pays back those who harm me. He has subdues the nations under me, and he rescues me from my enemies. You hold me safe beyond the reach of my enemies, and you save me. Everybody say, save me. He says, you save me from my violent opponents. For this, O Lord, is why I praise you among the nations. And I will sing praises to your name. You give great victories to your king. David didn't say, I get good, great victories. He said, no, God gives the victory. You and I, we don't gain the victory. Jesus gives us the victory. You and I, we don't go out and defeat the enemies. We don't go out and defeat the giants. We don't go out and win the battle. God gives us the power. God gives us the ability. And God is who gives us the victory. And that's what David was saying. He said, the victory doesn't come by my name. The victory didn't come from my strength. The victory comes from God. And he closes it out with this. He says, you show unfailing love to your anointed. Everybody say anointed. You show a failing love to your anointed, to David and all his descendants forever. What David wrote in that psalm, he said, these victories that we have, these giants that are slain, these victories that take place has nothing to do about me. It has nothing to do about my strength. It has nothing to do about my talent. It has nothing to do about my abilities. It has everything to do about the anointing of God. It has everything to do about the power of God. It has everything to do about how when things seem unready, how when things seem stacked against us, it has everything to do about the power of God to get us through. That's what David understood. He understood that we need the anointing. Everybody say anointing. David understood that he can't reign without the anointing, that he can't win without the anointing, that he can't have victory without the anointing. And you and I, without the anointing, we can't reign either. We have to have the anointing. And what the anointing is, The anointing is the power of God reigning through us. The anointing is the spirit of God reigning through us. The anointing 
is a power that doesn't come from human hands, is a strength that doesn't come from us, is an ability that doesn't come from your talent. It is a power that comes straight from heaven. That's the anointing. And we have to know that we can't reign without the anointing. Because you want to know what makes us different from the rest of the world? It's not how smart you are. That's not what makes you different. You know what makes us different from the rest of the world as born-again believers, as sons and daughters of God? You know what makes us different? It's not the clothes we wear. That doesn't make us different. It's not the talent we have. That's not what makes us different. What makes us different is the anointing. That's what makes us different from the rest of the world. What makes us different is that we have access to the power of God. And that when we are at the end of our strength, where others, that is where their story ends. For everybody else, at the end of their means is all they can do. But for you and I, what makes us different is that we have access to the power of God. And when, when our strength ceases, God's spirit steps in. When our strength fails, God pushes us through. Why? Because that's what the anointing is. And that's what makes us different. And that's why we have to have the anointing in our life. There's been many times where life has placed me in a place where I thought, there's no way that this can happen, God. There's no way I can accomplish this. I'm at the end of my strength. I'm at the end of my knowledge, at the end of my know-how. There's no way that this can be done, God. But then all of a sudden, I begin to press in into not what comes from myself, but what comes from God and press into his presence. And I know you have the same testimony as well. Is that when you press into the presence of God, when you allow the anointing to begin to reign, when you allow the power of God to begin to come through, all of a sudden, where you thought it was finished, God pushed you to the promises he has for you, where you thought it was over, God gave you the strength to continue. That is the power of God. That's what makes us different. And that's what gives us the advantage. The anointing is what allows us to accomplish things. What the anointing does, it allows us to accomplish the will of God. You cannot accomplish the will of God on your own. And if you're saying, well, Pastor CJ, everything's going according to plan. I'm doing everything on my own. Well, can I, can I burst your bubble real quick? Then it's probably not the will of God. Because I can guarantee you, that the will of God requires more than this human strength. The will of God requires a strength that comes from above. The will of God requires a strength that comes from his spirit to where when you thought it was over, God's spirit pushed you through. And that's how you know you're in God's will. You know you're in God's will when you're saying, God, I'm just leaning on you right now. God, I'm just following after you right now. God, I'm just trusting you right now. And let me, let me guarantee you this, is that when you trust God to come through for you, he will lead you to a place you never thought possible. He will lead you to a place you thought wasn't even able to be accomplished. His promises is far better than what our talent alone could achieve. But it requires the Spirit of God. And that's what David knew. 
David knew that without the anointing, there is no advantage. Without the anointing, we are easily defeated. Without the anointing, there's really no difference between us and the rest of the world. Without the power of God, there's really nothing that separates us. David understood that without the anointing, those giants are going to kick his butt. David knew that without the anointing, if he fought the Philistines, that he would be defeated. But David knew that the anointing was his advantage. David knew that the anointing would give him the upper hand. And David knew the power of the anointing. That's the second point for today, is that the anointing is our advantage. Everybody say advantage. The anointing is our advantage over the enemy. Worship team, you can join me. For us to reign, we have to have the anointing. David understood that. We have to understand that. For us to reign, we have to have the power of God. And the anointing doesn't come from people. Don't look to get the power of God from any person. Because the anointing doesn't come from me. The anointing doesn't come from you. The anointing doesn't come from any pastor or any prophet. The anointing comes from Jesus. The anointing doesn't come from politics. The anointing doesn't come from possessions. The anointing doesn't come from having all these likes on Instagram. The anointing doesn't come when you reach 10,000 followers. The anointing comes from Jesus. The anointing comes from him. The anointing comes from the Holy Spirit. We have said this many times before and we're not ashamed to, to say it again. But here at Riverside Church, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not ashamed to say it. We don't hide the revelation. We don't hide the fact that the power of the Holy Spirit reigns today. That the Holy Spirit did not cease with the early church. The Holy Spirit did not cease with the apostles. The Holy Spirit did not cease when they passed away. But the Holy Spirit still reigns and is alive today in the church. That we believe in the power of miracles. We believe in the power of healing. We believe in the power of a spirit baptism will transform your life. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that it doesn't matter what man does against us. It doesn't matter the power that man tries to conspire, but the power of the Holy Spirit will begin to wash away all things that tries to come against us. Why? Because we believe in anointing. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that we were called to live this life not alone, not based off our strength, not based off our understanding, not based off our means. Because if you live today and you try to live your life on your own, you're going to have a really hard time. It's going to be really difficult and it's going to seem like you can never 
just get your head above water. This feels like you're constantly just waiting and that you can never just get over these things. But God did not call us to live like that. We're born to reign. We're called to reign. We're born to have the power of God flow through us. We're here on this earth not to represent ourselves. We're here on this earth to represent God. And how we represent God is that we begin to flow in the anointing and the power of God because when somebody looks at you and they see the power of God, they're not going to say, wow, look how great Caleb is. They're going to say, wow, look how great God is because there's no way a human can do that. There's no way his strength can do that. There's no way a man can do that. There's no way he's talented like that. That's the power of God. Come on, if you believe in the power of God, stand to your feet. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for your power in this place that breaks the yoke. Your anointing breaks the yoke. Your power breaks the yoke. If you're dealing with things this morning, can I encourage you with a solution? Can I encourage you that even when you're at the end of your strength, that you don't have to just rely on your means. You don't have to rely on your experience. You don't just have to rely on yourself, but you can rely on a power that's higher and greater than yours. You can rely on a God who is wants to be with you and reign with you. God's power is what breaks us through. We talked about how there's many similarities between David and Jesus. There's one similarity that I left out. Because in the same way that David read Psalms when he was in trouble, Jesus read a Psalm when he, when he was in a trial as well. Look at Matthew 27, verse 46. This is Jesus on the cross. This is Jesus taking on the pain that we deserve, paying the price that we can't afford, this is Jesus in his last moments on the cross. And look at what he says in verse 46. It says, And in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And we skip to verse 50. It says, then Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and then he yielded up his spirit. But in that moment when Jesus gave up his spirit, who knows, that's not when his reign ended, but really that's when his reign began. Because Jesus didn't stay dead, but on the third day he rose again, defeated death, hell, and the grave. And now you and I can reign because of what Jesus did. But I want us to look at this real quickly. The words that he said are the words that David wrote. In Psalms 22, many theologians believe that when David wrote this psalm, he wrote it prophetically with the insights of knowing and writing from the perspective of the king to come and the price that he would pay. It's really powerful. Read all of Psalms 22 with the perspective of Jesus on the cross. 
It talks about how his hands would be pierced, his feet would be pierced. It talks about how his clothes would be thrown at lots by the soldiers to see who would get it. It's very specific. And when you read it, you can say, that's only God that could do that. And many, many people believe, and I believe as well, is that when Jesus was on the cross, he read out Psalms 22. When he was in the most difficult place, in his hardest trial, he read a Psalms as well, just like David did. Psalms 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you did not hear. And in the night season, I am not silent, but you are holy. Everybody say holy. He said, God, but you are holy. And what the holiness of God, that's the power of God, that's the purity of God, that's the anointing. He said, but you are holy. Enthroned in the praises, everybody say praises. Enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Even when Jesus was on the cross in his time of trial, he trusted that God, he trusted the anointing, and he began to praise. In the same way that David praised, the same way David knew about the power of God, is the same way that Jesus knew that when he gave up his spirit, that's not where his story ended, but that's where his story really begins, because he'd be raised again by that same spirit. And that death, hell, and the grave would be defeated. And that's how Jesus reigned. I'm going to close with this thought. Is that we reign. Everybody say reign. We reign by praising Jesus for the victory and by walking in his anointing. You want to know how we reign on this earth? Praise God for the victory. Praise him for what he's doing. Praise him for the promises on the way. Praise him that even when I'm in the cave, I'm going to give him praise. And then understand that if we're going to walk on this earth, we might as walk with the power of God. Understand that if we're going to be on this earth, we, be, we better not be without the anointing. But we have to walk in the power of God, walk in the strength of the Lord, walk in knowing that even when I'm at the end of my rope, I have access to a power that I need to start exercising. I have access to the power of God. With every head bowed and eyes closed, just lift up your hands right now. And right now, we just want to welcome in the anointing. I feel God's presence in this place. God wants to begin to encourage you. You feel like you're in a cave right now. You say, God, I'm so far from our promises. I'm so far from where I thought I could be. You've even thought to yourself, is it even possible? Is God even capable? But God, right now, we thank you for your power, for your Holy Spirit encouraging us right now. We uplift the faith of the people. For everybody under the sound of my voice, that we're leaning into you. We're trusting you. We're praising you for the victory. We're praising you for the promises. We're praising you for, God, the promotion is on the way. Healing is on the way. 
Victory is on the way. Breakthrough is on the way. What we are looking for, what we are praying for, what we are believing for is on the way. And God, if there's anybody, if there's anybody who wants that next step, who wants to go deeper in God's presence, who wants to experience God's power, maybe you're saying, well, Pastor CJ, I'm in this place. And I, I've never experienced a power like that. I've never experienced the anointing. I've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, just lift your hands right now. If that's you, just begin to worship God. If that's you, just begin to thank Him for filling you up. Scripture says those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. So, Father, we thank you for your power falling. We thank you, God, for your anointing falling. We thank you, God, for your spirit, God, overwhelming us right now from the tops of our head to the soles of our feet. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, God, reigning through us, Father. We thank you, God, for your anointing. We thank you for your power. We thank you right now, Father, that rivers of living water will flow from us, flow through us, God, that we need your spirit. We need you in this place, God. We need your power. We don't want to live this life alone. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, if that's you, just press into that. I feel God's presence in this place. Press into that. Don't leave this place unchanged, but leave this place changed by the power of God. Don't leave this place still bounded, but leave this place freed by the power of God. Don't, don't leave this place in the same mindset, but leave this place with the mind of Christ. Let's lift up our hands. Let's praise. Let's worship God's presence in this place. Let's worship together. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.